Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at noon to defend and to promote public education. And uh, it's been a very interesting week, in fact, an interesting few weeks, with the Turnbull government um, appearing to outmanoeuvring the Labor Party in their education policy. But have they? And um, who would vote for the Labor Party's education policy anyway? We have a website at www.adogs.info and this is our latest press release. It's press release 706. Gonski 2.0, widening the gap. The gap between the response of non-Catholic and Catholic schools to Gonski 2.0 is widening. The Protestant Catholic Alliance, which has enabled religious schools to raid the public treasury and undermine public education for half a century, is falling apart. Why? Largely because, although all schools charge fees as their right, some charge more than others. In other words, the gap is between fees charged by the more exclusive schools and those lesser fees charged by some Catholic schools for a similar middle-class parent base. And this has led to funding disparities. The SES funding model is a blunt instrument for needs. Needs of children can easily be gamed into greeds with it for institutions in the education market. In the last two weeks, the Fairfax Press journalists have exposed the Gonski 2.0 windfall for exclusive Protestant schools in Sydney and Melbourne. And they've done very well out of it. Thank you very much. There's billions for everybody and certainly millions for the very wealthy too. Now, last week we talked about the Sydney lot, King's School and PLC and Scots, and how very nicely they were going to do by 2027. They hadn't been doing so well in comparison to the elite Catholic schools, but uh, this Gonski 2.0 is going to change that. But it's a little bit the same down here in Melbourne. The uh, The high fee private schools... Uh, in the Protestant group, have certainly been the winners in Melbourne under Gonski 2.0. Well, here you have some of the figures that the Fairfax people have got. The Caulfield Grammar School has got an SES score of 117. That is, it is 17 above 
the norm, 100 being the norm. So there's quite a few wealthy parents there. The senior school fees for this uh, school are 29355 and their per-student funding in 2017 is 4658 which is comparable with what was going on in Sydney dollars per student. But by 2027, the student fund, per-student funding will be 6864 So the total 10-year increase will be $34.8 million. So that's a nice little stash of money, our money, that Caulfield Grammar will be raking in. Wesley College... Oh, Wesley College has got even more wealthy parents than uh, Caulfield Grammar School because their SES score is 120. That's 20 over the norm. Uh, senior school fees there are comparable, 29720 Per student funding in 2017 is less than Caulfield Grammar because they've got a bigger SES score. It's 3842 But don't worry, by 2027 they'll be getting 5282 and the total 10-year increase will be $22.1 million. Presbyterian Ladies College, Burwood, oh, it's not quite so elite. Their SES score is only 115. That's 15 above the norm. Uh, The norm being, you know, pretty well middle class, 100. Senior school fees, again, are 29,000, but this time it's 924. The per-student funding in 2017 is comparable. It's 4,872, but their per-student funding by 2027 will be even greater than the other two. It'll be 7,390, and the total 10-year increase for them will be 17.9 million. Ah, the Methodist Ladies College Q. It's got the highest SES score so far. It's comparable with Scotch College. They've both got an SES score of 123. So there you are. They're pretty elite. They're 23 above the average of 100. Uh, Again, their senior school fees are 29700 at Methodist Ladies College. Their per-student funding from us, the taxpayers, is 3148 But by 2027, that will have risen to 4435 So they'll be uh, raking in $13.1 million. And Scots College is comparable to the Methodist Ladies College. <clears throat> but it's the most expensive. If you want to send your boy there to do his VCE, it'll cost you 30528 And the per-student funding for 2017 is only 2904 That is, we're not giving quite so much to Scots as we are to the others. But don't worry. By 2027, they'll have caught up because per-student funding in 2027 will be 4309 and they will be raking in more than the Methodist Ladies College at $13.6 million. Now, the Catholic sector, considering their best interests as they run with billions of public funding to the bank, pause to argue about the level of fees paid by middle-class parents buying out of the public system. So this argument between the, um, the Catholics and the Protestants 
isn't about children. It's about levels of fees that are paid at their schools. And this is a quote from uh, what they're saying. By underestimating how much high-income families can contribute while overestimating how much lower-income families can contribute, Catholic Education contends that the SES scores disadvantage Catholic schools serving lower- and middle-income families. They claim that it falsely assumes a homogenous population with each parent having the same capacity to pay. Well, I would have thought that was exactly what it wasn't doing. What has happened is that the middle-class parents or the poorer-class parents have left the Catholic schools or been kicked out into the public schools, and the Catholic schools are now pretty middle-class. There aren't too many disadvantaged children in them. But the fact of the matter, truly the fact of the matter, is that the Catholic and Protestant, all of them, are exclusive schools. And it should be the purpose of education to offer genuine opportunities to all children, not funds to exclusive fees that want to keep the fees down. Well, we all know that the fees haven't gone down, they've gone up. They were given lots and lots of money, special, special deals back in the 1990s by Mr Kemp, I remember, and that was to keep the fees down. But the fees haven't been kept down. They've just got, got, kept on going up. But as in the 19th century, the Catholic sector is also furious with the government for stripping it of the right to fund schools on a system-wide basis. The Catholic education officers have been given huge grants of money to do with as they will. And they haven't looked after the disadvantaged, they've looked after the wealthy. And they've got rid of the disadvantaged into the public sector. We all know this, it's as plain as a pike star. But um, as well as they believe that the private schools have received a better deal, that's the Protestant schools. The Catholic Church has always been a state within a state and it's always wanted to control its own employees and enterprises without any state interference. Uh, and we're going to find out more about how they even have their own legal system and that you can't even extradite uh, somebody who might be a criminal from the Vatican. Now, if equality of opportunity and the common and national economic good were the proper purpose of education, all fee-paying schools should be taken off the public funding teat. If Gonski 2.0 is to mean anything, it should recommend public funding only for a genuinely public system which is free, secular and universal. This is the only way that anything approaching equality of educational opportunity can be achieved. Now, when this came into the uh, age in the last week, uh, there were quite some quite interesting um, comments. There were only 10 of them before it was taken off the comment uh, list, but Dale is going to read us some of these comments. Thanks, Jean. The first one comes from Nurse at Southbank. Uh, it would be very interesting to know what would happen if all funding was taken away from independent schools and all that money was put into public schools. Would the number of private schools shrink with just the very, very elite private schools surviving where the parents of those kids attending um, aren't at all sensitive to the lo loss of funding? Or would it stay the same and all parents just stump up the extra? 
If the government are to be believed, there would be a significant movement of children to the public sector. I just wonder how sensitive parents and schools would be to the loss of funding. That is, it is only 10% of the total fees by the look of it. And Willis May says, God, imagine if you were one of these, those amazing teachers at one of those lowest common denominator government schools who went to uni with those who teach your kids and read this. John, do you think it's acceptable that a wealthy school can spend this funding on a new boat shed when the public schools are barely scraping by? My child went to a public school and we were still charged $2,000 in fees, not to mention all the chocolates sent home. And CJ says, research shows that fools and their money are easily parted and then provides a link to a private versus public schooling debate and uh, some financial details thereof. Uh, Les Chat says, yep, CJ, private school kids don't really fare any better than their public school peers once they're at uni and in the workforce. It's a total waste of parental money and worse than that, it's a total waste of taxpayers' money as we all get to pay for them to have this privilege. It's an obscene waste of public funds. And A to B May says uh, about the Gonski 2.0, it's a small step in the right direction but political self-interest won't even allow that to happen if the Senate blocks these reforms. And Dave Doublebay says, uh, looking after the preferred population while keeping the less preferred population down. Very interesting comments. I think there was only one, and we didn't read that out, (laughs) out of ten. That's one out of ten that appeared to be pro-private schools. And that one was suggesting that they lose all their funding and prove what they can do. Yes, yes, very interesting indeed. Well, there they mention uh, what's going to happen to all of this. Uh, The Labor Party are still... uh, on the teat, I suppose, or certainly thinking that the Catholic vote means something because they're jumping up and down still about the poor Catholics. And um, one should not be surprised by this, knowing the alma mater of Mr Shorten and Tanya Plibersek, and Mr Albanese for that matter. But um, Tom Greenwall, who is an old... Um, a Australian Education Union teacher who's Canberra-based. In Inside, uh, the Inside Story has got an interesting article on what should the Greens do with Gonski 2.0. So he feels that with Labor implacably opposed, the Greens must play a positive role in the Senate on this one. Um, He quotes Hanson Young, who hasn't who says the Greens had not yet made a decision on Gonski two point and reiterated their call for a Senate inquiry, and they'd reserved their decision until after they considered the evidence presented to the inquiry. Uh, are the critics right when they say the Greens shouldn't entertain the possibility of doing a deal with the government? And Greenwell doesn't think that they are. Are there flaws in the latest version of Gonski that could jeopardise the principle of needs-based funding it purportedly advances? And yes, obviously there are. 
And the first problem is that the journey towards the needs-based funding benchmark set out by Turnbull and his education, Simon Birmingham, is is excruciatingly slow. Uh, As the Australian Education Union's Victorian President, Meredith Pease, pointed out, a student in Year 4 today will have left school by the time the funding's delivered. Instead of the nearly $4 billion of additional funding that was originally scheduled to arrive in Years 5 and 6 of the Gonski Agreements, the Turnbull government has committed to $2 billion only of that. And uh, so it's, uh, it, it is a very difficult decision, I suppose, that people should make. I think that the dogs on the whole think that it should go ahead. It's not going to succeed, but it should go ahead for the very simple reason that a wedge is finally being drawn between the um, Protestant and the Catholic schools and the Catholic schools are going to lose uh, their complete power over public money with almost no strings attached. This has been going on for 50 years and it's 50 years too long. Uh, There's never going to be, from the dog's point of view, a successful needs policy. There hasn't been for 50 years and we see absolutely no reason why there's going to be one in the future. The uh, lobbyists from the private sector appear to have no moral scruples at all when it comes to disadvantaged children and they have plenty of moral scruples about their new boat sheds. But that's enough for me for the moment. Um, We'll have a bit of music and then I'll hand over to Robert.
Thank you very much, Dane, Dale, I should say, Dane, Dale, Dale and Jean, for getting, kicking us off into this dogs program. We are the dogs, the uh, defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S. You've just been listening to David Kinsella, a um, little more of uh, uh, Jean-Nicolas Clermont uh, from the uh, 18th century, and that was Basso says des, desus de trompette, a bass and trumpet. Uh, neither of those instruments, of course, featured. They, they, were, they were implied as he played his harpsichord. Um, yes, wonderful stuff. Thanks, David. Um, always a welcome musical interlude here on the Defenders of Government Schools programs on 3CR 855 on the AM dial, 12 noon every Saturday. Um, look, I just want to sort of finish off this. Well, you can't really finish off this whole business with, with Gonski 2.0 or whatever it is people want to call it. Or maybe we can call it Gonski Gate. I don't really even care. Um, they're all words. Um, I suppose Jean's point of view is that, yes, it should go ahead because it starts something very, very simple. Um, apart from what Jean quite rightly commented as, as driving a wedge between the various factions involved in government funding being allocated to private operators of religious persuasions, two of those religious persuasions, of course, are groups of various Protestant you know, schools of a Protestant faith and schools of a Catholic faith, and it drives a wedge between those. So, yeah, it, it is functionally useful. Um, because both of those, uh, both of those groups of schools, both of those organisations, from the dog's perspective, are um, are cancers. Uh, they're, they're cancers on, on on the body politic of education. Because the fundamental problem, of course, with education has been this way since since ever since Menzies drove a wedge between public and private schools in the sixties, and then Whitlam opened the floodgates, and then. Carmel and the Schools Commission and then Howard with his SES model. The main problem is that every time you give a dollar to a child in Australia that needs it for education, here in 2017 it's got to the point where you give a dollar to a child that doesn't need it. Now that's a problem because if, you're, if you think about the body politic and what goes in and what goes out, um, if you're giving, giving sustenance to a child that needs it to educate them, you know, to educate them to a gold standard in this highly competitive well, that's a useful thing. If you give a dollar to a child that doesn't need it, if you give it to a, a child to a dollar that their parents insist they go to a school which is exempt from the anti-discrimination legislation of the country, the ones that can pick and choose and get a dollar as well from, from the government, um, you're wasting your money. It's like going to McDonald's every day. <laughs> um, it's not very good for your digestive system. <laughs> I suggest uh, that the funding of private schools, I think, is a kind of well. It's either a cancer or it's just a systemic diarrhoea. It's money in, money out, and it doesn't do anyone any good. Jean, sorry, yeah, I, sorry. I cut you no. off. You were saying. Yeah, no, I suggest if they're going to guarantee eighty percent of the funding, in some cases, it's a hundred percent of the funding um, of these uh, so-called poor private schools, then um, why not take a little bit away from the 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 other schools, the really wealthy schools, make it 100% and take them over. And then yeah. rationalise all of the unnecessary schools that have grown up uh, where they have been duplicating facilities in certain areas mm. and leaving other areas without schooling altogether. That's what they did in the 19th century. They worked it out then. They worked it out that it was cheaper and it was more efficient and it was more practical to just have one system being uh, funded by public money and let the others be independent. Absolutely. They either take the coin or they don't. 
Um, and in, in just about every other civilised country on the planet, like there's different systems from Germany to England to the US to various other places. Australia is an extraordinary outlier in this. But what the, I mean, even if they came to the probably very sensible solution is if you are going to give money to private schools, if you are going to give money to a Catholic school or a Protestant school or a Carthumpian school or an Islamic school or, a, or an exclusive brethren school, which we do in Australia, we give it to all of them because we have, I suppose, some form of religious equality. Uh, we, we, we give a dollar to, to all of them, as well as the kids in the state schools. Then take away their exemptions. If the local Catholic school wants, wants, wants a dollar from the government, it has to enrol everyone in its catchment area. It yeah. Does, doesn't matter if they're Catholic or Protestant or Calathumpian or Islamic. It doesn't matter. If you want the dollar, then you cannot discriminate on the basis of religion. You cannot discriminate on the basis of the sexuality of the child or the parent. You cannot discriminate under any grounds in exactly the same way as a state school is not constrained. A state school is liberated by but these you, laws because everyone goes. But you must also respect the background of the parents. Those children shouldn't be indoctrinated in those schools. No, indeed. And they should become public schools. Well, indeed. But I'm saying that in other countries that, that do fund private education systems, say, well, if you want the coin, then you, have, then you are taking a taxpayer's money, which means you have a responsibility to all the taxpayers, not just the ones of your particular religion or faith or gender or, or whatever. Makes sense to me. Just as a basic, basic, basic thing. Now, this is not radical talking. I mean, this is what happens pretty much in the rest of the world where, the, where, where private school systems flourish or, or exist, but not in Australia. No one's talking about Birmingham's not talking about this yet because in Australia in the body politic, they are still, and I think it's extraordinary, still bordering on the margins of terrified. This is the politicians. Bordering on the margins of terrified at the powers that that religious influence has in Australia. And so if you, if you mention this idea, then people say, oh, yes, that's probably a good idea, but it, it will never happen in Australia. It's unreasonable that it would happen in Australia. We don't do that sort of thing here. Um, and, th- and that's it. That's, that, that's, that's the only sort of political reason. But the one thing that, in fact, all this state aid to these private religious schools has done is to um, hamper... Quite shockingly, religious belief amongst the population. The pews of our churches have have dwindled considerably. Uh, Some Catholic churches have forced people in or people forced into the into the pews because unless they go to church, then their children won't be enrolled or stay in the school. But um, apart from that. Uh, religion is in a palace condition amongst um, amongst the Australian population. From generation and, to generation. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's turned a lot mm. of young people off religion the way these um, people have in fact behaved. It, it's a, it's, I think it's actually very sad. As a Christian, I find mm. this very sad. Well, someone who's not a Christian, I also, I mean, well, I find it inappropriate and weird. Um, but, 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 but I also find it sad because um, as someone who wants to go around respecting um, all Australian citizens, no matter what their religious belief or lack of religious belief, because I do believe, I mean, I think it's part of being a civilised civilized nation that you protect the rights of people to believe various things within the limits of the law, of course. And, you know, what happens in people's houses and churches is, is actually... Functionally, none of my business. Private. It's, it's, it's a completely private matter, um, which is why, of course, here at the Dogs, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian or you're a Muslim or you're not a Muslim. That's not the point of what we're saying. It's never been the point of what we're saying. The point of what we're saying is that if you're going to take the coin 
um, you have to pay the piper. And when it comes to education funding, the piper is the people. The people are the people. Yeah, you know, the the people of Australia are the ones that should be calling the tune on this. And because of various influences over decades, um, or even half a century, and probably even more, Jean, Jean would argue, um, this this has not been the case. And that's all the dogs are fighting for. The, the, the dogs are fighting for the people who pay the taxes get to say where the money goes. And if it, in, in, in the, well, if Australia is ever thought to be a socialist experiment at the beginning of the 20th century, we've certainly failed now mm-hmm. um, because the forces come into play, you know, forces like middle-class aspiration or, or religious indoctrination have all got their hands in the pie of one form or another. It's now a neoliberal uh, experiment that has failed the people miserably. Yes, but I think the one thing that's a good thing that's come out of I mean, we're wandering around all sorts of ideas now. I'm sorry sorry for that. Sometimes I do get a little bit lost. But to get back to the point of Gonski 2.0, um, Birmingham has, for the first time in, in decades and decades, decoupled the idea. He's decoupled the idea of a dollar for dollar. You know, dollar for a rich kid, dollar for a poor kid, dollar for a poor kid. Um, that means the rich kid gets the money anyway. He's decoupled these ideas and said, actually, this is... For, for, for no other reason than, than, than because he's an accountant. He's saying, but this is a waste of money. <laughs> Education funding has diarrhoea. Education funding is feeding the cancer upon itself. It's, it's just not sensible in terms of the money. Now, of course, the Catholic education processes are going to fight back. But I think it's fascinating that probably because a few generations have passed, where the Catholic Church has had its school system educating between 25 and 35% of the population. But in terms of the Catholic vote being a unitary concept that bishops can then beat politicians over, I think those days are gone. Well, they're certainly going, and Birmingham's worked it out, whereas unfortunately Shorten and Plibersek have not. The the bishops are in risk management over Cardinal Pell at the moment. Well, they are, and, and just just to sort of to detail this playing out in in the political spheres in Australia, this this lack of power um, that the that the normal you know the normally powerful staunch Catholic education lobby used to have, um, this lack of power, or this 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 diminishment actually, I think, is one of the most fascinating aspects of what's going on right now. And I'd like to detail that, of course, after these messages. Fair Go for Pensioners is holding a protest rally on Wednesday the 24th of May at the State Library of Victoria at 11am to defend our rights against continuing cuts to welfare payments and essential public services. This means down goes living standards of low-income groups and up goes poverty. Australia does not have a welfare problem, it has a poverty problem. Take a stand with Fair Go for Pensioners to defend your rights. The State Library of Victoria, 11am, Wednesday the 24th of May. Fair Go for Pensioners is a 3CR supporter. Stop bailing our kids. The juvenile justice system is a racist disgrace. Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is launching a campaign to highlight factors including poverty, homelessness, loss of culture and racist over-policing as key contributors to youth incarceration in Victoria. The campaign kicks off with a week of action starting on the steps of State Parliament on Thursday the 25th of May at 12.30. Be there. For more information including campaign details go to isjamelbourne.com Let's hold the Andrews government to account and halt the law and order race to the bottom. ISJA Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855. On the AM dial, there's me, Rob, Jean and Dale here in the studio today. And as I was promising before those messages, um, I was going to detail the sort of playing out of what's going on in terms of the reduction of influence um, that the Catholic education sector has in Australia. Even though currently, because they've been subsidised by taxpayers for generations, they educate a significant percentage of the population um, and they are a deeply centralised and opaque bureaucracy that is immensely powerful within the corridors of, of both state and federal governments. There's things happening on the street um, that are diminishing their power. And I'd like to talk about two contradictory things that are happening, happening at the same time, um, which are reflected in two articles, um, one by Henrietta Cook and the other one by Alexander Smith in the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age of this week just gone. Uh, both of which um, have highlighted two separate things. In New South Wales, um, the enrolments at Sydney Catholic high schools have dropped um, for the first time in 20 years. At the same time in Victoria, most Victorian families do not send their kids to their local school. They do not. More than 50% of parents in Victoria do not send their children to the local school. And you think, oh, okay, so if most parents aren't sending their kids to local school, that usually means they'd be sending their child to a private school, you know, somewhere where they're paying to exclude their children from you know, all, the, all the rat bags that are supposed to be in, in, in state schools and, and, and whatever, whatever mythology that is convenient for them to believe. Um, and there'd be reasons why people would send their children to schools that are not their local schools. Well, that's happening in more than, more than half the cases, or more than, more than half the time in Victoria. But in Sydney, um, the enrolment at Catholic high schools which are private schools, of course, um, has dropped for the first time in 20 years. Now, these two things are contradictory, and I'd just like to unpick them. Let's start with Victoria and an article by Henrietta Cook on May the 16th this year. She says, Sending kids to the local schools become a thing of the past for most Victorian families. New release figures reveal that for the first time, more than half of Victorian parents are now avoiding their neighbourhood schools. As well as bypassing their local state school in favour of independent or Catholic schools, students are looking further afield to other state schools with strong academic results and better resources. The figures come from an Auditor General's report into school infrastructure, which also revealed that 52.3% of the state primary school enrolments and 53.3% of state secondary school enrolments came from outside the local catchment areas. But experts at the University of Melbourne, uh, Professor John Hattie, has warned that school choice is fueling inequity and healthy competition between schools. Oh, well done, Professor Hattie. <laughs> oh, well done. We need someone from the University of Melbourne to tell us the bleeding <laughs> obvious. But uh, Professor Hattie, to his credit, says a campaign was needed to inform parents that teachers made the real difference to child's education, not schools. Oh, good luck, Mr Hattie. 
it's like arguing about the size of the iceberg when you're on the Titanic. It's big enough, all right? It's big enough. At least he's saying it. But at for least many, he's saying For many years, the academics have, have really been like courtiers, like Mr Gonski. They really haven't put their head up above the parapet, unfortunately. I find it very sad. And, of course, people don't take much notice of them anymore anyway. Mm. Because of that very fact, actually, I would argue. Yes, yes. Yes, Jean, well, you're an academic. Yeah, and there, there I, are... I am too. So, But that doesn't mean you shouldn't listen to us here on the Dogs Program, um, here <laughs> no, on 3CR 855 on the Arundel. We're very interesting, even though we happen to be well-educated. Oh, well, of course, there are exceptions. There's, <laughs> Dave, there's David Zingier in there, who's always in there, and there's the Save Our Schools people. There's some very interesting uh, academics that have taken to the... Um, uh, the media, the alternative well, media. That, that, that's very correct, Dr. Ely. <sighs> yes, that's very correct. <laughs> <laughs> but like Hattie, he goes on. He's right, actually. He's absolutely right. I can't, I can't fault him. He said, if everyone went to their local school, we could unclog the roads. <laughs> to start with, it would help with our infrastructure spending. <laughs> he also says, there's a massive incentive for schools to pinch enrolments from neighbouring schools because it led to extra funding. That's true. There's another reason the local schools in some cases aren't there anymore because Victoria needs at least 50 new public schools over the next five years and it needs 223 uh, in the next um, decade. So, are, you, are you just yeah. making that up? Or you, no. No, no. Tell, tell me who tell me said that. Uh, this is in the Saturday, May the 13th, Herald Sun, of all things. Oh, this right. is the Murdoch Press telling yeah. me the Education Department itself claims that 50 new public schools would need to be built by 2021 yeah. and that's in an order to General's report on school infrastructure. It is. So like, there you are. Yep, so They're not going to have the choice. So people it's not, haven't got the choice anymore. So people aren't sending their kids to local schools anymore, but they're not necessarily sending them to a private school. No. And this played out in the Richmond thing, which we covered in detail about a month ago, mm. where all the parents want to enrol their children in the brand new super duper, isn't it going to be wonderful, aspirational middle class high school in Richmond. Whereas the actual solution is to make the schools all the schools in that area, as good as possible so the parents don't have to play, pay for the, inverted commas, advantage over other students that they, that they actually want. And here you get a real tension. And this is something that no Jean doesn't like me to talk about, but you do get a real tension. If you funded all the state schools in a particular area equally and supported them equally, at any given time, one school would probably be sort of slightly better than the other because the principal's quality or the quality of the teaching or, or Mrs Muggins, the English teacher, is world famous or something. You know, because schools are different. They, they just are. Anyone who works in any school or any number of schools, you know, cross-sectors, realise that they are tiny little isolated villages in their own right. Mm. They have their own cultures. They have their own strengths. They have their own weaknesses. Mm. But unlike a village, these things aren't set in stone like in medieval times. Schools have cycles. Schools get better, schools get worse, and they go through cycles. And any any sensible parent will know this. So you might send your school, your, your child to a school which is not very well thought of by the parent community, um, and then six years later, you know, when, when they're doing their VCE or something, it turns out it's actually the best school in the local area because the cycle has come around. Parents don't understand this. Parents just want security. Parents just want to know that their child is doing well. But more than that, and this is where Jean doesn't like me when I say this, more than that, they want there to be a competitive advantage for their child. Not only do they want to send their child to a good school, but they want the school down the road to be not as good. I'm 
And I'm that way, with you, Robert, the family, a family, is the basis of either a clan, that's the extended family, a tribe, or is the basis in in a small way when it's a nuclear family of aristocracy. Um, Indeed, and uh, that's never going to change. That's just part of the human condition. But those things run counter to the common good and democracy. Oh, yes, they definitely do. They also run counter to the Christian tradition. Well, I can't, well you can speak to that. Yep. Absolutely, I cannot. Yep. But one thing, one argument that, that it doesn't play out in policymakers, but it plays out around dinner tables around, around Australia, is that if you spend a lot of money to send your child to a private school, you don't want to think you've wasted your money. You want to talk in terms of your moral advantage because you have sacrificed because you have scrimped and scraped for the benefit of your child which proves that you love them and you come from a loving family and they went to a private school and they got the best education that you could possibly afford. And if you tell those parents that they're wasting their money and their entire moral economy is actually moribund, they get very annoyed. I mean, and quite rightly too. You say, well, you've just actually wasted $400,000 um, because if you'd got together with your friends and worked together to get a good state school in your local area, you would have got exactly the same outcomes for almost no money. The only difference would be that you and all your friends' children and your community's children would have all got a good education as opposed to you getting a good education and the other children less likely to have got a good education. Now, arguably, that provides what would be called in the free market a competitive advantage for your child in the jobs marketplace. But for a country to think that way, for a country to sort of cannibalise itself for the advantages of the few, is deeply, deeply stupid. Because what happens in those situations is that your whole country falls behind compared to other countries. Now, is there any evidence of this in Australia? Most certainly oh, there is. Yes, there oh, is. most certainly there is. We are falling behind very quickly. And ever since measurements of this sort of thing has been taken since the year 2000, Australia has fallen behind and behind and behind because, oh yes, we have a cancer in our system. We are funding education and the system has diarrhoea. We are wasting our money. And it's not about teacher quality and it's not about, I mean, it is, it is about that, I suppose, in a small sense. It's not about, it's not about some class sizes, although it is about that. It's about actually everyone working together as a nation to educate the largest number of people of the best quality. And the only way you can do that, the only way you can do that, and this is something that Plebiscite doesn't understand and can't be brought to be understand in this generation, I don't think, the only way to do that is for the resources of the country to be put into an accountable, effective and efficient education system which can by definition only be run by representatives of the people of Australia, not by representatives of Vatican City and not by representatives of various denominations of religion, and not just churches. I'm talking about mosques and synagogues and such like and so forth. You cannot put the resources of the taxpayers into these people's hands and expect to get a good outcome for the largest number of people. Because as Jean says many times, religion is not, not interested in educating all the people. The Catholic Church doesn't give a damn about the people of Australia. <laughs> and perhaps neither should they, because you know, the Pope runs them. They're, they're run by a foreign country. I mean, it's just, just very simple. That's not their brief. That's not their remit. I don't expect them to, and I don't damn them for it, actually. <laughs> I think that's perfectly reasonable. They have an organisation, a religious organisation, which in, in some ways is about belief and personal conscience. Go for your life. 
But don't run an education system for a country, as far as I'm concerned. And don't expect you to pay for it. Yes, indeed. So I've had a run, a little bit of, a, again, a digression there. But this is all based on the fact that there's two parallel phenomenons. One is the Victorian families aren't sending their kids to local schools. And also, the enrolments in Catholic schools is dropping for the first time in 20 years. Now, these are Victoria That's and New, New South, South Wales. That's New South Wales and Victoria, but it's also happening in Victoria. We have data. But um, Alexander Smith up in, up in New South Wales, I'd like to report on what she has to say after just a little bit of music, I think. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. You're with Dale, Jean and myself, Rob. Um, yeah, um, we've been detailing these two parallel trends. One is for people not to send their child to the local school and clog up the roads. Um, anyone who tries to get anywhere in either Melbourne or in Sydney um, on a school run time knows exactly what I'm talking about. But in New South Wales in particular, but also in Victoria, enrolments in the Catholic high school system has dropped for the first time in almost 20 years and are down overall in Catholic schools across the state and the country for the first time since 2008. The struggling families are forced into overcrowded public schools. Um, well, overcrowded public schools, well, why, why are they overcrowded? We should be funding them so they're not. <laughs> but anyway, to continue with the article, the latest enrolment figures show that around about 220,000 students in the state's systemic Catholic schools is down probably just a small amount, 100, 179 from last year according to the minutes of the New South Wales Catholic Education Commission, March meeting. Schools in the Maitland Diocese had the largest enrolment increase, with about 400 extra, but in Parramatta uh, they went down by pretty much the same amount. same time, the largest enrolment figures for the New South Wales Department of Education show that some public schools within the areas covered by Parramatta have ballooned by about 20% in just four years. And this is the first year, of course, since 2008, which total enrolments have declined from the previous year. So why? Why are people not enrolling their, their, their children in Catholic education system in, in, in greater numbers as they have been from year on year on year? 
Well, it's pretty simple. House prices, rental costs, cost of living increases are putting families in situations where they don't feel they can actually afford the systemic Catholic school's fees, which aren't particularly substantial compared to other schools, that's true, but they can't afford that. So um, the aspirational people out there in Parramatta are saying they're making different choices, (laughs) and the choices are state schools. He said, but Mr Whitby, who is in fact the Catholic Education Director out there in Parramatta, says some parents were also hesitant about strong school transformation agenda in Parramatta. He says, just because that's that's euphemism, by the way, strong school transformation agenda. For some communities, the student-centred inquiry-based learning model is very different from what they know and are used to. For the schools, they have embraced this contemporary approach to learning in schools. They are doing outstandingly well. Okay, so the Catholic education is doing a whole student-centred approach, which was pioneered by the state school system back in the 80s. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, so the whole concept of Catholic values and strict you know, beating children and things like that has seemed fallen away in the Catholic system, and parents apparently don't like it. He says, others are more hesitant or are still in the early stages of change. We believe this is reflected in Sydney Diocese. Primary schools enrolments, he says, have increased. But there's also a slight decline in their secondary schools. Okay, so he's putting it down to what it is that Catholic schools are and what it is that Catholic schools do, whereas everyone else is saying, no, you're too expensive and the people in Australia are running out of money and actually informing themselves and making better choices. Because it is a simple fact, it's just a very, very simple fact, that the school you send your child to makes almost no difference to the quality of their educational outcomes. I'll say that again. (laughs) The school you send your child to makes almost no difference in terms of the quality of the educational outcomes. It's who you are as parents. It's who the child is and brought up in terms of valuing education in the first place that matters, which is very strongly correlated with socioeconomic status, as we have seen in Australia, which itself is kind of disgusting. But, yeah, no, people have woken up to that, saying, we are parents, we value education, we want the best for our child. Having said that in the first place is actually the solution to the problem of your child's education. What school they go to isn't of any moment whatsoever. Now, cutting across all of this, I've just discovered a little snippet. I find this, I like, like little snippets, little bits of gossip. Um, there is one person who doesn't send their child outside their electorate um, or their, their, their uh, local area, and it's actually Bill Shorten. His daughter, Clementine, attends Mooney Ponds West, which is in his Maribyrnong electorate. My opinion of Mr Shorten has just gone up a few notches. He's very silly to be going on and on about the poor Catholics. He should be sticking up for his own daughter. So I just found that all very interesting. I think that, that's a very interesting point you made there about Bill Shorten. Yes. Someone who I've had less and less time for in this whole education debate about Godsky 2.0, 3.1, whatever it is, I don't know. <laughs> um, look, you've been listening to the dogs, but it looks you have been listening to the dogs program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Yeah, we're going to talk about separation of religion from the state just briefly at the end of the program because I think it's absolutely fascinating. Um, Separation of religion from the state is one of the fundamental tenets of Australian democracy. We are a secular society. That's the way it works. There's section 116 in the Constitution that says no one, the Commonwealth can't sit there and pay money to people um, to do religious stuff as an office under the Commonwealth. It's it's a funny clause, 116. Jean, I'm sure, has told you and will continue to tell you more about it. Our problem is that but, the High Court has read it down and out of the Constitution. Well, but people want it yep. back. 
Okay. People are wanting it back. And it's interesting how and why and when they want it back. Penny Wong, I think, is a fascinating case in point. Penny Wong is a, 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 a lesbian woman in a relationship with a child, and she's also a minister of, of, of the federal government. Got a lot of time for her, actually, and she's clicked. She says, well, look. Shadow minister. Shadow minister, I should say. She says, marriage equality fight proves the need for separation of church and state in Australia. I went, yeah, sure it does. Absolutely sure it does, Penny. I agree with you. She said basically people should butt out. There's religious marriage and there's marriage under the state. Marriage under the state should have nothing to do with religion. I should be allowed to get married to my partner because I'm an Australian and we're a secular country. The fact that other religious people don't agree with my my choice to do that is actually beside the point because there is a need for separation of people who have religious beliefs that, 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 that they are quite likely willing to have. And then there's the law, which is not necessarily, which is not um, based in religion. Um, she said the push against legalising marriage equality shows that applying religious beliefs to the laws of a secular society, so secular society, leads to inequity. And that's what Penny Wong says. She made the statements at the Frank Willow Walker lecture on Wednesday evening just last week, arguing that separation of church and state was necessary for equal rights and criticising the Australian Christian lobby for campaigning against the safe schools stuff that's going on and also campaigning against um, gay rights and the, the ability for people who love each other very much to marry each other um, irrespective of their gender identity. I went, okay, cool, wonderful, excellent. So, Penny Wong, if you want separation from religion and the state, why do you give churches lots and lots of money and allow them to exempt themselves from the laws of the land uh, to run private religious schools? if you don't think there should be a link between religion and the state. Now, interestingly enough, through her entire talk, she doesn't mention this once. (laughs) And it's not a surprise because that's part of what they call the political reality here in Australia. And she was much more interested in condemning people in Russia for the anti-gay violence and in Chechnya as well and the repressions of gays and lesbians. Now, in the past, there has been... Penny Wong is just one representative of this, but Penny Wong talks about the need for religion to butt out of who it is that she chooses to love. And I think she's perfectly reasonable to to say that in a a secular, supposedly secular society like Australia. But Penny, if it's good for you and your ideas, it's good for lots of other people as well. And the other people, certainly the people who send their children to state schools, which are value-rich environments because they have the opportunity to expose themselves to a range of very powerful values that a, sex, that a secular society can provide by not demanding that children do not learn things uh, based upon religious doctrine. But, you know, they, they go to a state school. State schools are available to all, and so therefore to be offensive to none, which is indeed part of the fundamental ideas you're talking about when it comes to a secular society. Offensive to none. Now, so it, it offends you that the religious person can get up and say, you're not allowed to get married because you're gay. Well, I think she's right to be offended. I mean, offence is a funny word anyway. Penny Wong can say that. But she has to then take the next step and say, well, it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Which lets me finish up on some interesting news that's coming out of Canada. Because there has been a, a push in Australia for churches, for religious institutions, to pay tax. Not on their charitable works. There's never been a push for that. So if a church does something for the people in a charitable way, no one says that they should be taxed. But they should be taxed for stuff that is not charitable. And in Montreal, churches are now being taxed by the city for rooms that are not being actively used for worship. 
Provincial laws exempt churches and manses from paying municipal taxes, but uh, Copetiers, who's the minister at Cote uh, d'Ignier's Presbyterian Church, um, <laughs> told that if a manse is vacant for several months between ministers, income from it is taxable. Mm-hmm. Following that, city officials arrived for an inspection of every room in his church and asked for how they were to be used. He says the indication is there's not an exemption for the church as a whole. There's only exemption for those areas used for public worship and things directly related to it. As a result, many churches in Montreal that host community groups such as food banks or girl guides are facing mounting tax bills. Oh, poor. Well, wouldn't that be nice if that happened in Australia? So that Wesley College and their vast portfolio of investment properties, each of which attract vast amounts of income, and many, many large private schools have this, is all taxable. But it'd be nice, wouldn't it? Because it's not being used for religious purposes. It's not being used for educational purposes. It's being used for income-generating purposes. And if you generate income in a country, you should pay tax. So interesting things going on in there in Montreal, isn't there, Jane? Well, I found that a very interesting oh, well, Thank you very much for finding that article. I, I just found that. A, a, a little bit of a wedge over there in Canada. They're interesting people, Canadians. <laughs> We've come to the end of our program, I'm afraid, here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's been wonderful to have your company. And I must tell you, because I'm always reminded, both by my producer and by our listeners, that if you want to find out about us, find out more about our, our, our rants, if you want to find out more about our views, if you want to question what we're saying and say, no, Robert, that's rubbish, uh, you can check us out at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www. .adogs.info and you'll find all the facts and figures and everything written down very nice and sweetly for you. Um, But until next week, and it's been lovely to have your company, until next week from the dogs here on 3CR, it's bye for now. Bye for now.
from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize it's there you find your hill it's there you find your hill I dreamed I saw Joe night alive as you and me says I but Joe you're ten years dead I never died says he